Good evening and welcome to Spirit Radio. I am your host, Willie Hassel. Along with my co-host, Lynn Nickerson, we will take you on a journey, a journey into the unknown where the paranormal becomes the normal, a journey to a world cloaked in darkness where reality becomes a thin veil. So sit back, relax, and join us as we venture into the shadows, the darkness, the unknown, and back. Hey, good evening everybody. Welcome once again to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience. I'm Willie Hassel. And hey, the lovely, the mystical, the mysterious Lynn Nickerson, she's not here tonight. She actually is taking a few weeks off. She's going to just kind of kick back, relax. I don't know, I think she's down sunning herself on a Caribbean island or exploring uh, castles in England or something. But anyways, I have a very special guest co-host with me in the studio tonight. All the way from KCOR Radio in Las Vegas, Nevada, the host of Paradigm Matrix, Willie Miranda. Good evening, Willie. Good evening, Willie. Uh, how are you doing? Not too bad yourself. Such a I'm, pleasure to be here tonight. Hey, it's, uh, it's nice to have you. And you know, Willie, you're, you're so great. Every time we need you for anything, you just hop on a plane all the way up from Las Vegas, and you're here. It's, it's, it's great. You know, how, so how was the flight this time? Oh, it was great. It okay. was great. Longer yeah. than usual, but... Longer than usual? You, come, <laughs> you came by way of Alaska? Or? Oh, <laughs> I wish I had uh, one of those... Um, one of those... Um, what do they call them? Uh, jet streams. Hit a jet stream. Yeah, well, you know... Make the, it a lot uh, quicker. Well, you know, the, spa- the station spares no expense in getting you here, so, oh, you know, we oh. just we had to fly you on one of those little uh, prop planes and, you know, around the world, and eventually you got here, but we appreciate it. Not a problem. Pleasure yeah. to be here. So, Paradigm Matrix, KCR Radio, how's, how's it going, boy? Not bad, not bad. Every Friday night we do a, a live show, just like we do here. Yep. Uh, it always seems like I'm, I'm getting into these live shows now, more often than uh, my own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, you know, that's the place of being popular, right? I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. So it's a Willie and Willie combination tonight. That's right. It's uh, it's the tale of two Willies bringing Las Vegas and Portsmouth together. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, you just recently uh, had your one-year anniversary of your show. Yes. And your guest on that show was... Ronnie LeBlanc. And it just happens that tonight on Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience, it is our pleasure to welcome back to the show Ronnie LeBlanc. Ronnie has always had an interest in the paranormal or the strange. Stories that defied explanation, the laws of physics, and the belief in the minds of those who heard about them. His interest led him deep into research in the subjects of Bigfoot, aliens, and more. Ronnie is the author of the book Monsterland Encounters with UFOs, uh, Bigfoot, and Orange Orbs. He is also the co-host, along with Maddie Blake, of the popular Monsterland podcast. But most recently, Ronnie is uh, seen on the Travel Channel's new show, In Search of Monsters. So welcome to Spirit Radio once again, Ronnie LeBlanc. Good evening, Ronnie. Hey, Willie Squared. <laughs> Willie Squared. <laughs> How are you, Ronnie? Nice, nice of you to, Great. to join us again. Always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. Enjoy uh, coming and talking with you guys about all the strange stuff. It's always fun. All the strange stuff that, uh, that that most people just don't quite understand. Huh? Yeah, you know, it takes, um, I think, a unique perspective and, and, and person to kind of follow this stuff but once you get in you're, you're hooked yeah yeah that seems to be the way it works huh you know <laughs> you, I don't know but, but you've always been into the strange haven't you I have you know ever since I was a kid I would um, go to, to uh, the Monster Public Library and take up books on um, you know cryptozoology <laughs> and it's a reading about UFOs and, and that kind of stuff and and uh, yeah, and it just kind of went down this this rabbit hole. But um, it, it's been a lot of fun, but it's also been eye-opening to see how many people have had weird experiences, especially around the, the central Massachusetts area. 
dealing with Bigfoot, UFOs, orbs, uh, missing time, and a lot of history, you know, going back to Betty Andreessen, um, and the mystery airship sightings in 1909 mm. in Worcester. And so this area has definitely a, a long history and some strange stuff that uh, continues to occur and um, more and more sightings. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me, I'm noticing the influx of articles about UFOs from some of the big names like NPR and oh, yeah. News. And, and so there's definitely a surge when it comes to, um, I think, information and what's, I guess, like an awakening that's kind of going on right now. Yeah, a and, larger scale. And, so that's interesting to see happen before our eyes, you know. Yeah, and you're you're right in the middle of it there, aren't you? In uh, Lemonster, with the uh, yeah, the state uh, yeah. forest, which is uh, known as Monsterland, which of course is where the name of the book came from. Right. Yeah, there was a, a, a section that has now kind of been populated over a small section of woods off of Route One Seventeen that they called Monsterland. The activity has definitely bled and seems to have been occurring throughout Lumster State Forest. Um, and a lot of these locations are connected by power lines and little pathways. Um, but there's a lot of, of interesting, um, I think, there's some cave systems that have yet to be discovered out there. Um, it's 4,500 acres and there's a lot of Native American history as well. You know, kind of similar to, I think, the Bridgewater Triangle. You can make a, yeah, a comparison yeah. between the two, where um, the Okemok Swamp at the Bridgewater Triangle has, you know, there's a lot of death that occurred there, and people see UFOs, they see orange orbs, uh, black helicopters, Bigfoot type creatures, uh, Black Panther type creatures. Uh, and then in Massachusetts, there's been, you know, they say the mountain lion, eastern mountain lion, is extinct. But yet there's been sightings of big cats uh, mm. in Lumster State Forest, in other areas. Um, and that always gets me because I feel that, um, uh, you know, they deem something extinct because, you know, how many people yeah. are really out there looking for it? Right. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's gone. But Yeah, isn't isn't that what uh, you know? Alexander's doing his uh, latest documentary on? The, uh, he is. The and I, I am so pumped to see that. Yes. And I'm uh, yeah. stoked that he's doing that subject matter because yeah, the cats it's an are... interesting story. And I think they are not extinct. They're out there. And... Uh, yeah, he's gonna hit a home run with that one. Yeah. I really feel that. Yeah, I think it's the cats of the Northeast. I believe the big cats of the Northeast. I believe is this. Uh, mm, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I interviewed yeah. him on him uh, a few months back on that. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah I can't wait to see it. He's a great filmmaker. Oh yes, he is. Yeah, he, he is. is. Does a good job. Yeah, I think the state doesn't want to admit it. You know, doesn't want to admit these big cats are still around. You know, the mountain lions. Yeah. And, you know, sort mm -hmm. of. I, I wonder why they wouldn't want to admit it though. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, it takes someone to either get attacked or, or a car to hit one for them to kind of then say, oh, yeah, okay, well, I mean, it occurred in, I think, Connecticut yeah, correct. four or five, six years ago, um, and there was one there, so correct. people, oh, it must have been a, a pet. <laughs> and in Massachusetts, it was a horse that was attacked, uh, ended up losing its eye. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they said it was a big cat. You know, possibly a mountain lion, most likely. So, Ronnie, long time no yeah. talk. How's it going? I know. It's been a, a great, been busy. Um, heading into summer now, so the kids are going to start finishing up school this week. So that kind of shifts and changes when it comes to my yes, attention yes. span. <laughs> yes, I've also seen you on the big screen. Yeah. Uh, the little screen. Cool. Yeah, yeah the little screen. Um, that's been fun. That's been uh, a cool experience. I like, get a chance to... Um, so In Search of Monsters on Travel Channel, it's produced by uh, Prometheus Entertainment, which produces uh, Ancient Aliens. And so they were asked to put together a show similar to that, um, you know, backed by scientific evidence, having different 
expert um, witnesses and cryptozoologists like Ken Gerhard, uh, Nick Redfern was on there. And I got, uh, you know, blessed with the opportunity to kind of go and um, be a part of the show as well and, and cover more of the stranger side of, of stuff that I, more in my wheelhouse. Uh, but I did a few episodes with uh, on Bigfoot and Yeti, uh, New Jersey Devil, um, and got a chance to fly out to New York and LA for a couple of different, uh, what they call interview uh, type shoots and you're there. Yeah. Um, you know, two, three hours sometimes, four hours, just kind of nonstop with, you have a little bit of preparation for the questions, but then you kind of dive into your own explanations and uh, information that you're going to supply to kind of back the argument, stuff like that. So that's a, a great experience. Yeah, that's a pretty cool opportunity. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. se- season one of that uh, show has just, just wrapped up, right? It has, yeah. I think it was last Wednesday, and um, they are going to run reruns all summer long and try to get more interest on board. Yeah. And uh, I believe we're still waiting on green light for season two, so hopefully that that takes place. Um, but yeah, it's been uh, they did a great job putting the show together, and it's just super cool to be doing TV because I went to school uh, in Southern California for. Uh, film and television production oh, and yeah. specialized right. more in screenwriting yeah. and um, that was kind of my initial path to kind of do writing um, writing movies eventually wanted to kind of direct but I think everyone that was into movies or films you want to, that's, you want to be a director you want to be Steven Spielberg or something <laughs> yeah, like that. yeah right uh, oh yeah well we you know I our dreams have come true, Ronnie. Uh, synchronicities. You know, a few years ago we were talking about uh, me doing a podcast and you writing your book. That's right. Yeah, we had breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Um, you hadn't yeah. even, I don't think you even written a draft yet, correct? I had it kind of in my mind. Um, so I, I, I will kind of like outline stuff in my head initially and then try to like, if it's still good, like months later, where I'm thinking about it, and I still feel like it has something to it, then I'll stick with it. And uh, yeah, I didn't. I had the idea of it, and I had some experience that I was like tying together, like, um, but I hadn't really dived into um, the writing process. I had really done a lot of the research, which was a couple years, like on the train back and forth to Boston, reading different books and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, just looking at different counters and just, and then also talking to people, getting their experiences. So yeah, it was um, it was awesome to kind of see that all come together. Yes, um, <laughs> for you and, and for me, that was just neat. Oh yeah, oh yeah, most definitely. Now, Ronnie, your thoughts? I know that we have gone before and touched this subject on uh, on several interviews. And your thoughts? Uh, I know that. Uh, of course, um, as far as uh, the cryptids are concerned, and especially Sasquatch or Bigfoot, as far as being a uh, interdimensional being. Yeah, um, there is a another side to Bigfoot that people have experienced, and you know there is you know when you think about it, one you're trying to just accept the fact that if there's a seven, eight-foot, ape-like creature out in the woods living somewhere, uh, undiscovered yet by science, that's one leap for your mind to kind of take. The next one is to then say that that thing can kind of come in and out through portals or some is interdimensional. And uh, interestingly enough, most people that I've talked to when I make the comparison between the two go with the interdimensional because it makes more sense because, oh, that's why they can't find a body or they can't find bones. And I found that completely fascinating that people are looking to go that way, whether that's just been, you know, the last 20 years, some of the top films have been around aliens or um, monsters and things like this. So it's in our psyche and it's, and it's in our, I think, our narratives and stories. But it's also, when it comes to Native American uh, legends and folklore, they talk about these different Bigfoot-type creatures. All the different tribes throughout North America have a, a name for them. 
And I've always been one that believes that, you know, if you're naming, if all these tribes are naming something that's similar, but they have different names for it, but it is essentially the same thing, then it has to be real, in my opinion, because they're having these sightings, they're having these experiences with them. Um, there's been giants, skeletons, um, 10, 12 feet long, you know, found through different sites in North America, and those have been whisked away by reportedly uh, the Smithsonian and others, you know, um, talking to different researchers on the podcast has really opened up my mind to these other things that are kind of going on that could explain where the Bigfoot bodies and bones have gone. Correct. But, um, yeah, yeah the, the, the concept of the interdimensional piece is, it's not a, uh, it's not almost like, it's not a guess on, on my part in the sense, I've definitely experienced things that fall into that realm, and I've also talked to other people um, and other researchers that have been doing this for 40, 50 years that have come to the conclusion that this thing is something different. You know, the Native Americans say that Bigfoot has one foot in the physical realm and one foot in the spiritual realm. Um, you know, the Apaches say that it can just vaporize like smoke. Um, and we're hearing more of those stories. There's actually a recent, um, I think, a video trail cam footage of something that looks like a Bigfoot, but um, in the, I think it's infrared, it comes out like really bleached white, uh, but almost looks like this light type figure uh, shaped like a Bigfoot. So who knows what that is? I mean, maybe it's just a play of light, but then I feel like. Um, Slowly, the UFO movement and, and other with Bigfoot too. I think we're going to start learning more and more about what these things really are, or who these things are. Um, people like Bob Gimlin, who shot the Patterson Gimlin film, uh, believes that they are a people, they're a forest people. Um, so that kind of changes a lot, of, a lot for us as well. Correct. If these things are not an animal, and if they are people that have some kind of unique abilities that we, maybe we once had uh, being connected with nature, um, that maybe we are going to start learning how to access this again. And that I'm talking about, you know, telepathy, where you hear that from uh, abductees or experiences with UFOs and Bigfoot, that they have messages. Les Stroud recently uh, talked in the Joe Rogan podcast about his experience in Alaska with a Bigfoot-type creature that was making vocalizations towards him that he knew was not of any other animal, but also didn't share it on the TV show, but later with Joe Rogan expressed that he felt he received telepathic messages from the Bigfoot, from the Sasquatch. So all this kind of crazy, hippie, wacky talk seems to start coming into, I don't know, fruition and, and different experiences. and. And I think there's going to be more of it, too. You know, more stories that are going to come out because people are going to not worry about the ridicule, ridicule anymore. And, you know, it just takes one of these things to be real. I've been saying that from the get-go on either side, Bigfoot or UFOs, that um, one real encounter can prove that there are aliens or there is something that uh, lives among us and then maybe another dimension that comes in and out when they please, leaves tracks, eats food, takes off. Um, who knows? Truth is stranger than fiction. And it seems from both camps, as far as um, there is, there is two sides of the camps here. As far as um, in the cryptid world, uh, you have the ones that think it's an ape, of course, mm -hmm. and and then the interdimensional side. Uh, I interviewed yeah, Stan Gordon a while. Yeah. I interviewed Stan Gordon a while back. Oh, I love Stan. Um, and he was saying the same thing. He was saying, uh, listen, after so many years, so many years of, uh, you know, 50 years of uh, investigating uh, UFOs, Bigfoot, cryptids, um, I come to the conclusion that hey, uh, it is an interdimensional being. You know, where no bones, no, no nothing. And I'm not talking about... Um, I mean, going way back, like you said, as far as back as Native American Indians and their um, culture and stories where they say they've even bartered and traded with, uh, right. with, with Sasquatch. Yeah, the, the gifting, you know, And the gifting, started, correct. 
early on, there's a story up in uh, up in Oregon, I believe, or Washington, where a uh, fisherman hunter was um, out in the Pacific Northwest and had caught a bunch of fish, trout, I believe, and had a stringer fish. And he heard this weird grunt, and he looked over and he noticed this ape-like creature approaching him. So he made a gesture of kindness and, and took uh, the fish of the stringer and left it for the Bigfoot and then walked away, he left it there. Well, I guess a couple of nights later, uh, in the night, you hear that same kind of grunt and sound, and when he went outside, uh, he was gifted back a deer skin, berries, and some other items from, from the forest. So uh, what I find really intriguing is that the a lot, I'm not saying as all of them, but a lot of the flesh and blood Bigfoot hunters, they're going out to try to bag one, shoot one, um, you know, a bunch of cameras and whatnot, um, never seem to be able to capture anything or hit anything. But the people that have, I guess, live in habituation areas, that, you know, the Sasquatch lives closer to humanity than we think. So places like Lemster State Forest, which is still close to residential neighborhoods where they can pick through the trash. You know, they can, um, there's been reports of them doing so in state forests all throughout the country. So um, it's crazy because you just kind of start realizing, all right, there's a whole other kind of reality happening, um, not just our daily lives and what we're doing, but this other world that we're kind of peeking into that we're just starting to learn about. Correct. You know, this is a paranormal world, Ronnie. Yeah, and, you know, paranormal, supernatural, to me, they're all labels, but they're all talking about the same thing. Correct. They're talking about something that we don't understand yet, but that is, um, you know, man fears what he doesn't know. So... I think once we have the understanding, once everyone starts to awaken a little bit, then there'll be a greater, I think, consciousness shift because it takes um, it takes uh, a bunch of people to kind of buy into it, to buy in, into any idea. And when you have these paradigm shifts, you have literally these consciousness shifts of people um, believing in, oh, this thing is real, like, you know, um, JFK assassination, things like that, which is very hot topic. But there's camps that believe that something fishy went down and others, hey, this is, I mean, when I, my brain hurts thinking about it. I can't imagine that we would do something like this. So there's people following, I'm just following the evidence and facts and different things that just seem a little bit off. Um, I think people know when, when truth is being told and when, when it's not. Yes, and it seems like they have to do, especially these days on the uh, Internet, you know, being a double-edged sword, you really have to discern and really know how to filter through the information. Yeah, you have to do your research. You're going to see and read. If you really enjoy reading, like, quite honestly, I don't read any books that are, like, fiction or fantasy. I love movies. I'll read scripts, um, but I don't read, rarely will read any books that are not um, nonfiction. So I'm, I love reading about different stories and, um, you know, different encounters. And I definitely have devoured every UFO book that was kind of coming out in Bigfoot books. And, but it has shifted now. I'm now more interested in things like consciousness and perception and energy. Um, so I'm kind of, I guess, moving down the, the rails a little bit, too, and just trying to understand, man, this is, uh, you know, like at the end of Monsterland, I kind of discuss, you know, shamanism and consciousness, and there's energy There's definitely, uh, they have a better understanding than we do um, on how there's different worlds that are intersecting, and you can tie in things from the Bible and, and other um, spiritual and sacred books that, Tell us the same thing. Well, so, what, what, weren't you? It's all around. <laughs> weren't you uh, working on a, another book, uh, Ronnie, on uh, shamanism? Work, and I am. I'm working on, believe it or not, like three three books right now. So oh, okay. I'm doing um, the Shaman's Secret, which 
uh, will be a little bit different. Um, I've decided that I definitely want to try to do a, a second Lost Plan specific book. It's almost a continuation of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have another separate project that I'm starting to work on now. Um, and I just want to kind of be writing all the time. So I wrote Monsterland now three years ago in 2016. Yeah. Um, and once it came out, I spent a lot of time just really trying to push it, uh, market it, um, do shows with friends like you guys and help each other out. And partnering up with Maddie has definitely kind of changed a lot where we're doing the podcast and doing um, interviews with with guests that kind of fit into the Monsterland book um, explaining people like Stan Gordon was a um, really uh, you brought him up uh, the, the author of Silent Invasion that was a huge influence on me uh, and inspiring me to help write the book along with uh, John Keel Mothman Prophecies and some of his other works uh, and people like John Green um, you know wrote Apes Among Us and others that was a, a Canadian journalist that was a skeptic turned believer. And I always find those stories very compelling, um, that you see that kind of shift in their belief system, their worldview now, because something has, people have to have a personal experience in order for them to really um, make that change and believe. We have to see it with our own eyes, but yet we, you know, can't see Adam's the naked eye we see a sliver of the visual spectrum we have a sliver of the auditory spectrum so there's a lot going on around us that we don't see hear, or feel but it's it's there all the cell signals you know ripping through us um it's a wonder what what it looks like uh, when you really are able to kind of see that those other worlds agreed agreed i think it's because we lost our sense with uh Nature. We really lost our touch yeah. with nature. I believe the Native Americans were more in tune. Um, maybe the ancient cultures were a lot more in tune with nature. There wasn't all this information pollution, you know, where yeah, we have right yeah, now. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, things thrown at us, right, to grab our attention, to hook our attention. Um, and that's you're absolutely right I think we all need to kind of recenter with nature kind of those natural earth vibrations and, and going to the forces scientific studies that show it's better for your mood your health um, and there's a reason for that there's you know, I think living things and energy that we belong there we don't belong in going from one box to another box to another box you know yes. going to your house to your car to your job um, there's more to life than that. I think right. we all have a, a purpose here. Ronnie, we've lost our way in a, in a sense. We lost our way. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a little course correction. You know, it's not, uh, it's not the, um, I think there's definitely some fixing that we can do, and, and it's something that we can, I think, make happen. Yeah, yeah, there's there's hope for us, right? Yep, yep. I do believe and, that. And, uh, and that we we're just about at the bottom of the hour here, Ronnie. Um, you can hold on just a couple of minutes here. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Supernatural Magazine, one of the UK's top paranormal magazines, provides support to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. It is the magazine's goal to bring every aspect of supernatural news and research from around the world under one roof to create a universal platform for all those interested in the supernatural. More information is available at supernaturalmagazine.com. And you are listening to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience on WSCA 106.1 FM in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Granite Sky is proud to serve the Granite State, New England, and the world via the Internet with rock-solid support and personal services. There are many aspects to ufology, and the experiencer is too often overlooked. At Granite Sky, their focus is on people, not proof. Granite Sky focuses on supporting those who have had extraterrestrial encounters and abduction experiences. We believe no one should have to face these experiences alone. If you've been visited, visit them at www.granitesky.org. 
Welcome back to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience. I'm Willie Hassel, along with my special guest co-host tonight, Willie Miranda. Came all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada, just to be here in the studio with us. And we have on the uh, on the phone a uh, very special guest, Ronnie LeBlanc. Welcome back, Ronnie. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Hey, thank you for uh, for joining us. Always, always a pleasure. Okay, uh, well, one thing I wanted to ask you about, <clears throat> uh, going back to the Monsterland book, did you ever find out who Mouse really is? Uh, I did, and um, he is uh, an interesting character, and I also met several others um, that... Uh, Man, uh, they have some amazing kind of stories and experiences, and some of them are, aren't willing to share them. Um, but to me, just talking to these people um, and getting to know them a little bit, what they've experienced is, is real. And it's, he, he's an interesting character, for sure. Yeah. Um, for, for the people who don't know, you want to tell us uh, that story? Or? Yeah, it was... Um, it was during um, during the whole process, actually, of writing the book, where I would start working on a particular chapter or um, just some some situation or encounter would happen, and then things would just synchronistically happen. Um, someone would give me a call that had the answer to the question, and vice versa. So, um, but the Miranda's pub, as it's known now, was once once called Twins. And this pub is in Lemonster, and it's believed to be the location um, that was there um, back when a gentleman had witnessed a Bigfoot-type creature by Old Mill Road in Lemonster on the entrance to Monsterland at the time. And he had reported his story um, drove by the, this beautiful creature trying to find something that was open at this time. It was believed to be on a Saturday evening in the summertime. And the only thing that was open was a bar. And we believe it was twins because it's in a close proximity heading back into Lemonster. And so the gentleman went in and uh, told the manager that he saw this terrifying creature by the side of the road and described it being a Bigfoot Um looking creature. Now, this is in the uh, early 60s, mid-60s, and um, the manager called the police. The gentleman didn't wait. He, he was impatient, decided that he didn't go back. He wanted to prove to people that this thing exists. He goes back to where he saw it last, by the bridge, and which is known as the tube bridge because it was such a small entrance that if you're going to go through you'd have to kind of beep your horn to let someone maybe know on the other side that can be coming in the opposite direction otherwise they would you would crash right into each other it was like a one-way kind of situation but um the police came to the bar they talked to the manager they went back to the location they found his car the story goes that they found his car with the lights on engine running the, the door was open and they expected that he was somewhere close within the woods and would be emerging five or 10 minutes. Maybe he had to go relieve himself or whatever. And then 15 minutes goes by, 20 minutes, and, then, and he never emerges. So the story of this man um, disappearing. And there are stories that are talked about, um, you know, like missing 411, did the people disappearing in state forest in different locations. And, you know, what's happening to these you know, children, these, these other people. Um, so later on, as I was writing the book, I decided to, I never had a chance to visit Miranda's pub and decided to go with some friends. And it was like a late um, afternoon, it was like a four or five o'clock or something like that on a, a Sunday. And we decided to go and check it out and went with a couple friends and sat down at the bar and there were two stools that were open next to me and the door opens and it was still kind of light outside so it kind of just enveloped the whole 
bar when the doors opened. Um, and in comes this gentleman that sits down next to us. And, uh, you know, at this time, I'm in the middle of writing this book, and I've always been passionate about this stuff. And when I told some of my friends that I was working on writing a book, you know, they, they wanted to bust your chops. And that was definitely that type of situation where I'm talking about things and getting on Bigfoot yet or, um, you know, different jokes. And so we're talking about this stuff and we started talking about um, the area and UFOs and, and um, I believe one of my friends is like, oh yeah, this guy casted one of the Bigfoot Bigfoot track, one of the state forests. And so this gentleman turned leads over and, and he starts kind of getting involved in the situation. And he looked like a, uh, uh, my best description would be that he looked like a, uh, a biker, but had like the John Lennon glasses. Mm-hmm. And there's something uh, mysterious about him. And he had uh, a cane. And uh, so he starts to tell us and tells me, you know, you're, you're lucky that you went to the newspaper and, and told, told them uh, what happened. Uh, because... Um, or, you know, have it in the newsroom because they would try to knock you off. <laughs> what are you talking about? So I started wondering, like, is this some kind of, like, scare tactic to get me off the <laughs> the trail? And it, it almost like this little paranoia kind of sets in um, and it just reminded me of, of what, like, John Keel, who was investigating and writing about this stuff, you know, he states that once you start looking into the phenomena, they start to look back at you, noticing that you're looking at them. And so strange things start to happen. And along those lines, you meet different people along the way that seem to have some kind of uh, connection to the story that you're trying to uncover or the truth that you're trying to peel back. And he was one of those characters that had some information for me. Um, in a sense that was really helpful on guiding the the book, uh, just kind of confirmed some things to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. But one thing that was really eerie is he had talked about several different books, three or four different books. And the books that we were discussing, um, it was almost like he had read my library receipt uh, because I had these books out at the time. And so they were current that I was talking about. And I know in maybe one occasion, uh, he, you know, I reference a book, but then the other ones he kind of, you know, it seemed to bring up, and maybe it was just weird coincidence, but I don't believe in coincidences. So mm. uh, that whole experience was, was interesting, but I just didn't feel, I think it was the first time I kind of felt a little nervous, a little yeah. uh, unsafe, or yeah. a little like, hey, what are you really getting yourself into now? Yeah, so it was, it was kind of like eerie, like he, he knew what you were doing. He knew, he, right. Like he knew the books you were reading, and he was giving you a warning. I mean, were you starting at this point to kind of feel like, uh, hmm, am I in danger here? Absolutely. I mean, that was the first time I think where I really felt felt that way because, um, you know, seeing those those tracks in the woods um, with my friend and his and his brother to going going back and seeing how they were set up, seeing how far away they were from each other. Yeah. Being in that area, it, it was definitely something, it wasn't a man, it was something else. Right. And, um, and there was interest from some intelligent people um, that had some serious connections that wanted to learn more about what happened. And yeah. um, the big thing was, was going to the papers, not being afraid to kind of share the story. Right. I, mean, I think that was brave on uh, the part of my friend and his wife for for doing that because they opened the door for a lot of other people to come out and share their experiences and encounters and say, well, this person did it, even though he was afraid, he did it. And so that takes a lot mm-hmm. of courage. Especially, especially in that era, at that time. It's a little more acceptable now, but back then it wasn't. Yeah, it's, it's wild. I, I was looking back, and that was back in 2010, June 2010. So um, 
nine, almost a decade ago, right, where this all really started, where I think it was a trigger point for me to see that, man, there is something more going on here that that needs to be shared or talked about or, or learned about. And uh, that was definitely one of those moments that kind of triggered it, being a part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been a long time, 10 years, where I'm kind of like, all right, I'm, you get a little bit burnt out, too. Um, it takes a toll on, on you know, family life and things like that that you're focusing on. You have your job, you have these other things that you're doing, other responsibilities, but you're also trying to make time to do this kind of research and study. And um, so it takes it takes a little bit of a toll. Um, yeah. But if you're passionate about it, it's, it's not really work. It's, it's almost like necessary, uh, something that you're supposed to be doing. Oh, yes, it's passionate work. It really is. You know, Ronnie, I wanted to touch back on Monsterland. It was a, uh, and we've talked about this before. One of my favorite chapters was the one with the airships. Oh yeah. And um, what's your what's your favorite part about that? Oh, well, you know, it's just a. You know, it's very interesting. You know, the story originates in Worcester, correct? It does. Um, you know, the right in that area, correct? Yeah, the the airships were starting to be seen, you know, going back to 86, um, 1896, 19, 1897, uh, the first kind of wave in different parts of the country. But then specifically in 1909, um, you know, there was newspapers in New Zealand and Britain um, that were thinking that these people were seeing strange lights in the sky. Um but we hear stories of people seeing lights in the sky and that they're silent. Or we see some people are seeing these nuts and bolts craft that seem to have no rivets. Um, but these, these sightings seem to have some kind of uh, airship quality to them where people heard like engine or machines running. And um, the Worcester sightings actually started um, in 1909, the Wednesday before uh, Christmas. And a bunch of people, uh, crowds of people actually saw a strange moving light that looks like this, a searchlight on this long, uh, dirigible, long uh, craft. And the following night, there were similar lights that appeared uh, in Marlboro, uh, South Framingham, Massachusetts, Natick, Ashland, Grafton, um, and also in Fitchburg and the uh, Christmas Eve issue of the Fitchburg Sentinel um, talked about this weird bright light that glowed where hundreds of people watched it and wondered and they had no idea what it was it wasn't seemingly attached to some um, craft and sometimes and then other times it looked like this searchlight and um, they also saw it in Boston in the North Station um, but a guy, there's an interesting character that came forward that um, worked in Worcester, and his name was Thomas um, Chillinghouse, and he was this inventor. And John Keel actually um, covered this story extensively in his book, Operation Trojan Horse. And he, he talks about how, and I was amazed that it happened in Worcester, Massachusetts, so that's why I really... Wow, this this area has so much UFO history with Betty and then this, you know, and going um, and going way back, yeah, you know, to the eighteenth yeah, yeah. century, correct? Yeah, well, yeah, nineteen oh nine. So, um, yeah, he says, um, you know, this craft supposedly was able to carry, you know, three people, and this guy claims to have taken this uh, ship from Boston to New York without even stopping, and just made these really bold claims of this craft. Um, but there's a similar story back in um, uh, Northern California of a gentleman, this attorney that approached this inventor and basically said, hey, we're gonna have you, uh, we're gonna give you this technology. We need someone to be the face of this technology that we're gonna introduce to people. Uh, but it almost seemed to be some kind of a a ruse or a, a way to kind of discredit other sightings. Um, but yeah, I go into it more extensively in the book. 
And uh, it's just an interesting story where hundreds and hundreds of people have seen, were seeing this strange light. And the time uh, that this happened, there were really only 36 pilots in the entire world, 36 licensed pilots. Um, Isn't that something? Aside from, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> what, what was flying these things we were talking about? Correct. You know, they believed if you go past 60 miles an hour, the human body would just fall apart and rip apart. That was the belief system at the time. So, yeah, I dive into it a little bit more, but it's an interesting, interesting story. It is, and have you know, of course, you know that I've always been fascinated by it. Um, thinking right now about it, did you give it the thought that it could be um, a time traveler, maybe? As far as you know, um, yes. Did, did you ever entertain yes, the thought uh, of that? I have, and, and, and the only, I think, the reason why I'm kind of going that direction is the stories of the Men in Black, where they seem to be kind of time travelers that are trying to correct the narratives or try to control what's the story. And, um, you know, it could be this technology that's... Um, that we don't have, that, that people are coming in they're, and they're checking out um, a civilization in, in the past. That's yes. You know, we're starting to learn more about quantum physics and, and uh, quantum mechanics now. So, definitely, everything seems to be possible. There's supposed to be all these different parallel possibilities. That uh, once that one is chosen, that's kind of what becomes the reality. So true. True. Have to wrap your head around some of the stuff. <laughs> I think that I think my fascination was with that subject was because Dr. Goddard considered the father of modern rocketry is from Worcester. Yeah, and, and you know what? He actually used to test his rockets at yes. Fort Yes, and I believe. Uh, so yeah, there's a. Yeah. The father, a godfather of NASA. That's, uh, well, Worcester. well, as a matter of fact, yeah, of course, uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, the uh, Houston. Uh, um, the flight center was supposed to be in uh, Worcester, and of course Lyndon Johnson uh, had his way. You know when he became the president, and it was moved on to Houston. But that center was supposed to be in Worcester. It was supposed oh, to be the gutter. It was yeah. It was supposed to be the gutter center, uh, space flight center. And also, as a matter of fact, Werner von Braun. When they were asking Werner von Braun during the Apollo uh, program, when they were asking him about um, as far as you know, rocketry and everything else. He he would say you should you should be asking Dr. Goddard. He's right in your backyard. You know, I, I studied Goddard. You know, and this is the this is the Godfather of uh, the the Apollo program. As a matter of fact, in true modern rocketry. So he was pointing he was pointing to Dr. Goddard. You know, who taught at Clark. Yeah, amazing. And I, I believe the uh, the president of Worcester Polytech now is from NASA. Yeah. Um, female president. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's almost a little bit of a synchronicity there, you know, and that's what really caught my eye as far as um, the airships and uh, and how you how you happened to stumble upon that. It was uh, I've always asked you, and it's always been fascinating. Yeah, that's one of those stories that was just um, like reading John Keel's books and um, and, even, and Raymond Fowler reading about these places that I they're right literally in my backyard or they're miles um, miles away, a few minutes away, and so that was you know when you're kind of researching your own home's history with these sightings, that's what makes it really special and unique where you're like wow this is I can't believe and this seems to have like you said Goddard um, Betty Andreessen airship sightings um, so there's a lot kind of connected to, the, to this area true true so Willie I think you, would, you, Willie. Were, you were going to have a question as far as have you had any uh, I think Willie was asking me yeah well also. we were both kind of wondering actually yes uh, since the Monsterland book, and probably during while you were writing it, I don't know, have you, have you had a lot of people c 
contacted you with with stories? I have a lot of them um, have been developing through uh, the podcast, but but prior to that, um, and separate of that, people will kind of share their different experiences, encounters, um, because I've become that person that people feel like they can tell me. Yeah. Um, and some, you know, I'd love to kind of share their story because I think some of these stories, whether they believe it or not, would help validate other people's stories where maybe that same evening, that same experience was witnessed by somebody else, unbeknownst to the witness that's telling me this encounter. That yeah, yeah, right. If so, all of a sudden, now this just solidifies this as a uh, bona fide experience. So yeah. things like that. Um, but also, I think... Um, doing this kind of stuff, you you don't make money. You like you know. You're, you're, I think no. you, I, I give way more books than I sell because you know kids that want through my book. I, I go speak in different schools and I look at the uh, the inspiration factor because who knows who I might kind of intrigue some some young kid that um, wants to then kind of start writing and it doesn't have to be about paranormal this type of subject but just something um that they're passionate about yeah yeah right what, I'm, can... what I'm doing is basically just doing stuff that I I like and I find interesting and I'm just kind of ex I guess exposing myself in a way that hey this is um I'm being me and I think that's why it's it's worked and it's kind of resonated with people because I'm trying to share this this history that people may not know about that has happened and people are experiencing today in these areas all over the country is other monster lands you know yeah yeah so you're just doing something that you're passionate about and that you want want to pursue and if you can inspire some some young kid along the way then then that's that's great you know yeah, and, and even some fifty-year-old guy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah some <laughs> some old guy like me, to even. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like I want to learn, you know. And it's just even for me, it's been reading, it's been uh, um, learning about stuff. Um, you know, I have four kids, and that's one thing I try to instill in them. My parents, you know, God bless them. What they encouraged me and still in me is to read. My dad was always kind of reading, always trying to learn. Um, and educate himself on other subjects that he didn't have access to through books. Now, now we have Google, but there's there is something um, magical and great about holding a physical book in your hands. And um, yeah, it's something that I would love to to instill and in, in people just to you know question the answers, learn, research things, and, yeah. and find out for yourself. Don't just accept it because someone tells you or you saw it on the news. Right. You know? Yeah, just because you saw it on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. All right. Then, you know, I've had, I've had the experience, I've had the privilege, privilege of seeing you at a book signing, and I've seen the gleam on kids' eyes when uh, they bring their book over so you could autograph them. Yeah, that is the... Uh, that is a highlight, quite honestly, and going to schools and speaking to kids, uh, classrooms, and just kind of seeing them all wide-eyed. And they're like, mm. this is real? I'm like, if you choose to believe it, or, 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 even if you don't believe it, these things are happening. So there's something going on. And um, I think it's trying to take the, the fear out of the, the process because, again, you know, we fear what we don't know. So sometimes you have to kind of face what what it is um, to learn about it and once you do um, I don't know maybe this is something I think that we're gonna everyone's gonna be I guess entering some kind of enlightenment um, phase in the next year or so especially with what Tom DeLong's doing a lot of people feel like yeah this is another uh, misguided messiah but I feel like he's doing uh, a lot, as well as people like George Knapp, uh, Jamie Corbo, uh, Grant Cameron. There's a lot of people that are spearheading uh, a movement now um, that I think is collaboration, collaboration is going to be the key to really crack this thing. So what do you uh, think, Ronnie? Do you think we're finally getting close to actually learning the truth? Is other other um, UFOs is uh, is our government going to, going to admit it? You think? 
I think that they already kind of have, and we just need to see, have the preponderance of the evidence that we need to be, I think, inundated with more things. It's going to take a, a landing on the White House lawn. It's going to take something mm. significant for the whole world to see for us to truly believe. Um, and I think that event is coming. Um, you know, I guess there's a lot of researchers that believe a fake one is coming, that some kind of deception is going to be deemed alien and it's not um, but that remains to be seen I think a lot of stuff is speculation and we've seen this time and time again where people um, are creating scenarios that never come to be you yeah, know yeah. Uh, there's a time I didn't think we were going to get past the year 2000 you know because of yeah, all y- the Y2K. apocalypse talk yeah. and, and Armageddon talk um, and here we are almost 2020 yeah so, I know it well, my, my opinion of uh, Y2K was just a big money-making thing, an excuse, exactly, an yes. excuse to sell, uh, sell yep. generators and, Agreed. and hats. 20, yeah. 20 30 years yeah. worth of uh, food. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and can, the canned food, yeah. I don't know. Uh, we got about uh, maybe two minutes left. Ronnie, uh, any any final questions there, Willie? Uh, Ronnie, where can we purchase your book? Uh, you can go to uh, Amazon.com and find it there. Uh, you can also find it on uh, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, it's also available on Kindle. And um, hoping to have other platforms. One of the goals is to uh, do an audio book, too, as well, from Oxland. We'll see if we can make that happen. I have a lot too many things on my list right now. <laughs> and I got one right here. That's right. Willie just uh, took it out of his briefcase. Uh, and, of course, I've got several copies myself. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I got I got more than one myself, too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be at two different events coming up. The uh, New England uh, Authors Expo uh, next weekend, next Saturday um, in Boston. You can on location on uh, Facebook and also the Exeter UFO Festival will be speaking on September 1st in oh. Exeter, New Hampshire. All right. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. And of course, you're going to be by um, the Greater New England UFO Conference, correct? Yes, I am. I'm looking forward to uh, getting back in there. It's been a couple of years of taking a little breather and looking to uh, get down there. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, at that, I guess we're just about out of time. Uh, Ronnie, we thank you very much for joining us once again. Thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure. I love talking to you, and uh, I love seeing your faces, too. It was great seeing you at the uh, New England Parafest. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, Ronnie was one of, our, one of our speakers this year at the New England Parafest, and uh, always, <clears throat> always a pleasure to have him join us there, too. Thank you guys right. so much. Okay. All right. You're very Ronnie. welcome. Okay, Ronnie. Thank, thank you, and, and, and have a good night. You good too. Night. Have a great night, guys. Good night, Ronnie. All right, and Willie, I thank you very much for uh, coming up here all the way from the desert. And I forgot to tell you, we do not have a return plane ticket for you. Oh. You're on your own. going to have to drive back to... Uh, <laughs> Massachusetts. Yeah, you're going to have to go all the way back to Lemonster. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pleasure uh, being here. Hey, I, I really appreciate it, Willie. Uh, it's great to have you. Thank you very and, much. Uh, Thanks course, for having me. And, of course, you've been a guest on the show uh, more than once. Correct. And, and that's, Correct. That's, that's always good. And, and we've been guests on, on your show, The Paradigm Matrix. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But I hope you come back. I'm certainly hoping to come back on this show. I'm going to be traveling to Puerto Rico. Yeah, and you're going to come come up after that uh, trip and tell us all about uh, what's going on down there. Correct, correct. Right. Looking forward to it. Okay, and uh, that is Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. And you are listening to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience on WSCA 106.1 FM in Portsmouth, New Hampshire.